Well hello and welcome to the Mariner's Library, with me Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode we're continuing the book The Romantic Challenge by Sir Francis Chichester. This is the eighth part of the reading and we're continuing chapter three. Now if you haven't already please consider going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner and there for five dollars a month you can not only support this podcast but also get access to additional exclusive patreon only content. Now on with the story. Chapter 3 continued. Gypsy Moth had sailed 191.8 miles but had only made good 183.5 fix to fix. That was a cold slap. She was now 185.5 miles short of our four day target and would have to average 211.6 miles a day to catch up. I certainly had fits of depression, but it was no good feeling desperate. The winds should be increasing as Gypsy Moth sailed westward, and there should be a favourable current lift. At 2010, my spirits got a lift. That's what I like to see, I logged. The needle indicator of the speedometer vertical, i.e. at 10 knots. This is the first time since Bissau that it has been there. This is exciting. I was beginning to wonder if I was ever going to make the speed I wanted. I was half apologising to the BBC spokesman tonight for my failure to reach 200 miles in a day after four days sailing. And there were other diversions. Sheila's hanging cupboard adjoined a chest of about six drawers where I kept the ship's papers, the instruments and equipment, manuals, electrical batteries, bulbs, spares and so on. Near the foot of this chest of drawers on the cabin sole, I was startled to see a big darkish green creature stand up square and defiant, facing me like a crab at bay with two big claws like semicircular pincers raised ready to nip the attacking enemy. I judged he was more than an inch across. Was this fearsome looking creature a poisonous tarantula? Certainly its four claws were not hairy as I imagined those of a tarantula would be, but it looked dangerous and vicious. Fixing it with a beady eye, I reached for my death ray aerosol and directed a lethal jet at it. It turned and scurried under the chest of drawers, disappearing between a cabin floorboard and the skin of the hull. I expected to see it curl up dead where it stood, but it made off at full speed. No doubt it was killed by that stream of death, and I did feel a twinge of remorse, but how could I live under the threat of such a horrible creature? As it turned out, I could have spared my sorrow. At midnight, the wind was behaving very oddly. It was as if it had just been mixed in the stratosphere and was being poured on the earth from a vast jug. Near calms gave place in a few seconds to spurts of twenty knots coming from any direction between north and east. One moment all the sails, the booms and the gear seemed to be in a banging turmoil. The next moment they were all asleep and Gypsy Moth was sailing fast, slipping through the balmy night. On such a night, it made me think of Jessica and Lorenzo's night together in The Merchant of Venice. At 03.35, I brought Gypsy Moth's heading up 15 degrees closer to the wind, which increased the speed a knot, but half of that increase was lost as the breeze eased during the night. I thought that, come daylight, I must try the half-size running sail and pole it well forward of a beam so that Gypsy Moth could sail with the relative wind slightly forward of a beam. That was where the speed seemed to lurk in a light 10 to 12 knot breeze. I had unpleasant, nightmarish dreams mixed with one that I was wanted on deck. In my dreams, I was worried and sad about Dorothy Parker, the wittiest woman in the world, the title of her biography I had been reading in one of my sack full of newspapers. 
She divorced her drink-prone husband while he was away at the war, and unknowingly came back full of love on the day of the wedding breakfast of his beloved wife to her new husband. How I suffered for that man in my dreams. I woke at 0400 to find the speed was a quarter knot better, so I decided to leave the pole rig alone till dawn. Two hours later, I awoke and wondered again what could be done with the foresails to improve the speed. I first thought of poling out the 300 jib instead of Big Brother, but when I arrived on deck I decided it would be best to drop the latter altogether and harden up to windward so as to put the wind forward of the beam. But while I was at work on deck, the wind veered and I could not get the wind forward of the beam without steering north, so I reckoned that I had made a blunder and reset Big Brother. I trimmed it better than before though and thoroughly checked all sail settings. Padding around the deck barefooted during the night, I had collected two flying fish. At dawn, I found three more, and when I went to prepare my breakfast, I was startled to find one lying in the galley sink. It could only have arrived there by shooting through the skylight in the roof of the cabin, and that when I was on deck because there must have been an infernal row. This seemed such an extraordinary thing that when I was talking that evening to the BBC, I said nothing about it, for fear they should think I was trying to pull their legs. Fifth day run, to noon fix, on Sunday the 17th of January 1971. Distance fix to fix, 180 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 3,210.5 miles. Days remaining, 15. Although Gypsy Moth has sailed 196.9 miles, the 180 miles fix to fix was still 10% below the 200 miles per day target. Immediately after noon, I rigged the big wind vane, the medium-sized one seemed unable to activate the self-steering rudder when Gypsy Moth was carrying a lot of sail in light airs, and she had lost several miles in the morning by coming up to the wind or more frequently falling off until the wind was dead astern, or even a lee. I could have continued with the medium-sized vane if I had balanced the sail area, but the balanced result deprived the mizzen of its pulling power, which meant a considerable loss in speed. This big vane was five feet tall and wide at the top, it looked wobbly, and it was. I rigged a small cord shroud from each side at the bottom of the leading edge to stay the vane to the bracket in which it was fitted. This looked like being successful, and I noted that it would probably be a good thing to rig another pair of stays to the top of the trailing edge. The big vane seemed to keep Gypsy Moth on course to within a few degrees. Its drawback was its obvious fragility if the wind piped up. It needed to be built much stronger because of its big area, but then it would have been too heavy for the lead counterweights I had. All morning I had been working stripped of clothes, but now it was time to don a hat or I should have sun trouble. I was hard pressed with deck work and other jobs, and even by six that evening, when I was due to call the BBC, I had not got my sun sights worked out. I got fidgety with impatience, which made things worse. First I had had a muddle over the stopwatch I was using. I had noted down two different times for when I had started it at zero, then I could not remember which was the right one. Then I made some mistake in reducing the noon shot for latitude, so I threw out the calculating method and went back to the old rule of thumb method which I had used a couple of days earlier and which was possible because I knew that I had taken the site at exactly local noon. This cleared up the second mistake. In the end, the position lines from the three different sites all met in a point. No navigator fails to utter, mentally if not actually, a sigh of satisfied relief when that happens. But what now puzzled me was the 16.9 mile discrepancy between the day's run sailed and the run made good fix to fix. 
The sailing had been pretty well in a straight line. How could there possibly be that discrepancy between 196.9 miles sailed and 180 miles made good? If it was due to the log overreading, it made it almost certain that my project must be a failure. Or was there a consistent mistake in working out the sun sights? For example, an error of exactly one minute in the times used for the three position lines would account for 15 miles of the discrepancy, which would then leave only a difference of under three miles between the DR position and the sun fix, which was reasonable. Or had I sailed into an eddy of the Atlantic current, which had set me back 15 miles? Later, I believe that this was the correct answer. The wind was strengthening slowly but steadily. It fluctuated in long waves of three or four hours between crests, but each crest was a knot or so stronger than the last. At 1900 hours, the true wind was east by north, 25 knots. With Gypsy Moth running before it, the relative wind as it appeared on board was northeast by north, 17 knots. Gypsy Moth averaged nine knots for a short period at that time under the big runner with the number one jib, the main staysail, the mizzen staysail, the topsail, and the mizzen. By 2200 hours, I could hardly stand in the cabin. Gypsy Moth was lurching from side to side, with all the deck gear banging, clanking, and overstraining. This did not seem right. So I went on deck and first dropped the topsail, which was causing most of the trouble, and does little or else unwanted work when there is enough wind to heal the boat well over. Then I retrimmed the other sails, hardening in the boom vanks, the handy police which I used to downhaul the staysail and mizzen booms to eyes in the deck, and eased off the heading of the wind so that the wind would be coming in after the beam, and then hardened in the sheet of the big runner to bring the clue and pole somewhat further aft. As soon as I was satisfied with the set of the sail and the pole, I took up the guise of the pole to keep it quiet. The result was that when I went below, it seemed like the quiet of a churchyard, though the speed had only dropped from 9.12 knots to 8.95 knots. By midnight, Gypsy Moth had knocked up 104.9 miles in the previous 12 hours, which was promising, but I had had so many disappointments that I was not going to be carried away by enthusiasm this time. I had been forced out of my sleep and bunk by cramp in an instep, it was a lovely night, with a gibbous moon shining down on the boat from high astern. I put the hood up again over the companionway because the decks were being washed by a lot of following seas, and I had had to close all the cabin skylights. As I emerged into the cockpit, a flying fish hit the cabin top three feet away from me with a hard crack, bounced off and disappeared. Judging by the patches of scales on the deck, there would have been dozens lying there if the sea had not washed them overboard. The scales stick on hard and fast as I found when I swished the deck down with bucketfuls of seawater. After dawn, my first act was as usual to tune into WWV Fort Collins, Colorado for a time signal to check my Rolex and the chronometer. Then I decided to try dropping the mizzen as I thought that the weather helm which was needed to counter its slewing effect might be slowing the boat down. I could easily hoist it again if necessary. An hour later, I recorded that it seemed to have paid off. I then tried easing the number one jib, but that was no good, so I put it back exactly as it had been before, having marked the sheet first for that purpose. Then I decided to have another go at the topsail. Its pull when running would be great, if only it could be harnessed without making the boat unmanageable. By 10.30 I had set it, sheeting it further forward than usual, but I soon came to the conclusion that it was doing little good, and maybe some harm. So later, I hardened it in and this seemed to pay off because the average speed over the following one and a quarter hours went up from 8.7 to 9 knots. However, the wind also had increased slightly during that period. 
At noon, the apparent or relative wind on board was up to 20 knots and coming in from 120 degrees on the starboard quarter. With the yacht's speed of 9 knots and the heading of 281 degrees, this made the true wind 25.5 knots from 059 degrees, roughly northeast by east. Sixth day's run to noon fix on Monday the 18th of January 1971. Distance fix to fix, 207 miles. Calculated distance to finish, 3,013 miles. Days remaining, 14. At last, Gypsy Moth had broken through the 200 mile per day barrier. While making good the 207 miles out of 210 logged, Gypsy Moth had only twice reached a speed of 9 knots, and then only for a total distance of 16.9 miles. Therefore, the 200 had been reached by sailing the whole 24 hours between 8.3 knots, the average hourly speed needed to reach 200, and the 9 knots reached for only two short periods. Seven miles excess was not much of a margin, but the wind was freshening, and I not only expected it to keep up, but to freshen further as Gypsy Moth ran down her westing. If it freshened up only another five knots, Gypsy Moth could easily make good daily runs of 10 to 20 miles in excess of the 200 target. With the remaining distance of San Juan calculated to be 3,013 miles, Gypsy Moth had made good 987 miles in a straight line from the Bissau starting point to the noon position that day, whereas the sum of the six daily point-to-point -point runs amounted to 1,012.5, a distance of 25.5 miles accounted for by the noon fixes not being themselves in a straight line. I logged that I must watch the mast because it was bending where the heel of the runner pole was hooked onto the lug on the mast. All the afternoon, the prospect continued rosy. For four periods, Gypsy Moth averaged nine knots or over sailing speed, and for the whole eight hours, the average was nine knots. During this run, the apparent wind had been mainly from the northeast, with the actual wind between 21 and 28 knots. This really was exciting. At 2100 hours, the apparent wind on board had risen to 22 knots from 150 degrees to starboard, only 30 degrees off dead astern. The true wind to produce this and the sailing speed of 9.2 knots which had been averaged for the last period was east by north, 30.5 knots. I must say, I logged, that wild rushing through the night surfing at, I guess, 30 knots was most exciting. The boil or seethe of a breaker filled the air level with my face when I was standing on the foredeck. The next entry in the log at 23.17 was difficult to read. Pole doubled up while Big Runner was up in a fresh breeze. I was just about to turn in, unable to keep eyes open and chock a block with flying fish and fried onions, when the Big Bang occurred. Now, again, I can't keep my eyes open, so more anon. Tis a long tale. At intervals later, when I could find the time, I logged the story. I expect it was 2130 or 2200 hours when the Big Bang occurred. I could see from the cabin that Big Brother had bellied out forward and was banging the air from side to side like a balloon forward of the stays from topmast to stemhead. I thought the outhaul or the clue had given way. When I got on deck, I saw that the 640 square foot sail was thrashing about in the air in a wind of up to 30 knots with one end of the boom still attached to it. At first I could not tell if the other end was attached to the mast or bumping about on the deck. Then I saw that the pole was doubled up in the middle into a sharp V. I was darting in to deal with the melee when I suddenly checked. If the boom halves separated and the one attached to the sail began to flail the air, I could easily become a stupid victim. The outboard half could act as a huge, lethal club, and I did not like the prospect of working under it. 
My hopes had collapsed like a pack of cards, but I could not help laughing. Always something of this sort turned up if I had a drink. I had had a stiff pink gin before supper, or lunch as it really was, if one can call a meal three hours before midnight lunch, and then I had eaten heartily of flying fish and fried onions. I certainly had not expected to be on the foredeck, tackling an emergency immediately afterwards. The first thing to do was to hobble the pole before it became lethal. I felt immensely grateful for the good light shining down from the cross trees, but at first, with the midnight darkness all around, it looked as if it was going to be a desperately difficult task. In the dark, as the pole was at times, it seemed impossible to tell how the kinked metal would behave, but it turned out not so bad when once I had sorted it out. The outboard end of the pole was ten feet above the deck, and the bottom of the V was periodically smashing into the deck, the skylight or the forward shroud. Should I go for the sail first or the pole first? I decided I must get the sail smothered and began taking in the slack of the sheet at the winch in the cockpit to bring the clue of the sail as far aft as I could without its breaking the pole at the kink. Then I went forward to the mast and let the halyard go handsomely until I had the sail smothered on the foredeck. The outboard end of the pole was now sticking high into the air, held there by its topping lift. With the sail detached it was a much safer proposition to deal with. I hardened in the fore and aft guys to lock the outboard end of the pole in the air, and then passed a rope round the barrel of the pole near the deck, and Rack seized it to the forward lower shroud. I could have rigged the other pole, but when the first pole had collapsed, its heel or parrot beak had twisted and distorted another snap hook which was under it, attached to the lug on the mast. This had jammed the parrot beak hard in the lug. It would be very difficult to free it in the dark with the lively movement, even with the spreader lights to help. In those rough conditions, it was going to require great care handling a 25-foot pole bent into a V. It appeared that in order to stow it, one end would have to stick out over the side of the hull. I went below and made my log entry, 43 minutes before midnight. The wind was increasing. An hour and a quarter after midnight, a big wave came aboard with a thunderous crash and slewed gypsy moth round, head to wind. I woke drugged with sleep, but by the time I got to the cockpit, Gypsy Moth had righted herself, and the self-steering gear had brought her back on course, which I thought a remarkably fine performance. My arrangement for keeping the pole asleep till daylight seemed to be working all right. Gypsy Moth was still doing up to ten knots without anything pulled out, still now and then riding a breaker without the running sail. The wild rushing through the night, surfing at twenty to thirty knots, was most exciting. The foresails left up, the number one jib, the main staysail, the mizzen staysail, and the topsail totaled 1,370 square feet. During the 16 hours from the time the pole broke until noon on the 19th, Gypsy Moth averaged 8.5 knots. At 0620 in the morning when I started work on the broken pole, the relative wind had risen to 24 knots, and by a quarter past nine when I knocked off for breakfast, it had risen still further to 26 knots. That meant a true wind of 31 knots, which was a hefty breeze. Well, that's the end of the episode for today. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. Now, if you haven't already, please check out the other podcast, The Mariner. There's lots of seamanship advice there and stories from my life sailing, and we answer questions and go off on terrible tangents and things that uh, seem to keep people that are interested in sailing quite entertained. That's The Mariner podcast. Of course, you can go to YouTube and pick out The Mariner there, and at the moment, 
were on board with the 40-foot Trimaran Spirit, sailing from Antigua to Bermuda and then on to New England. And all of this being made possible by the kind donations of sailors over on patreon.com forward slash the mariner. Well, that's all for today from the Mariner's Library. I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.